Welcome back to the Big Balance Podcast with your hosts, Brian and John. You're listening to The Big Balance, the podcast for anybody looking for clear, simple advice they can actually apply. Give us a little of your time each week and we'll help you figure out work, life, and everything in between. John, how are you? I'm doing well. It's a nice day out, a nice beautiful Saturday. So before we recorded here, I went out and enjoyed the weather. Yeah, this is one of the first Saturdays we've recorded in in a while. We've been doing the weeknight thing lately. Yeah, mostly mostly weeknights. I, I got to say what's making this really nice for me, and this is a, a small, tiny word of advice that I think everybody knows but nobody follows. Beautiful Saturday, and what's making this really nice for me is... Over this week, I cleaned up my work area. I think everybody's spaces are getting a bit more cluttered because we're working from home and being at home. We got families. Simple thing, manage your stuff, clean up your desk and, and around it. It's so freeing to not have stuff. I'm mentally cleared right now. Highly recommend it. That is a word of advice I need to heed. I need to clean my desk space. It is a mess. Now, among the things we talk about on this show are challenges that we want to get better at overcoming, not just advice we have, but problems that we have that we're trying to solve. There's one that I fall victim to constantly, and I know I'm not alone in this. Back in episode 13, we talked about multitasking, and today we're going to talk about its cousin, overcommitting. Do you ever feel overworked or spread too thin? Or here's another fun one. Have you ever laid awake in bed on a Sunday night so stressed out by what lays ahead come Monday morning that you're too amped up to sleep? You're not alone. Most people would say that they've bit off more than they can chew, both personally and professionally. There's an old sales truism that we should strive to under-promise and over-deliver. But somehow, we've collectively flipped the script, we're way over-promising and struggling to deliver. Let's be blunt about it. We're basically daring ourselves to burn out, day after day, week after week. So what can we do to rein in this impulse, to do too much? How do we scale down to only what's actually attainable? So John, have you ever heard of the term insecure overachiever? I have not, but I feel very attacked right now, actually. <laughs> well, honestly, I think both of us probably fall into it, and a lot of us in the management consulting game do. It's it's actually a term I only heard about after I just started looking into management consulting roles. There's a few articles out there that relate it to one of the big names in the industry. Do a quick Google search, you'll find the name I'm talking about. I don't think it's specifically a management consulting trait. I think it's actually pretty ubiquitous. For anybody at home, stop and think about whether these terms apply to you. And John, I'm going to ask if these ring any bells to you as well. You seek approval from authority figures above and beyond what's needed to net a paycheck. You're always worried that where you are just is not good enough. You should have climbed that corporate ladder to the next run maybe a year ago by now. And you feel like you're cheating yourself by not being there now. You're constantly sizing up the competition, or at least people you feel are the competition. So this will be the coworkers who may be younger or greener, who are nabbing these promotions to your level or, God forbid, above you. 
And you spend too much time trying to prove you're good enough because deep down, you're scared that you aren't actually good enough. These are all classic signs of an insecure overachiever. And John, what bells did I ring for you? Literally all of them. (laughs) Yeah, this is kind of a a downer of a Saturday, it feels like now talking about this. But I think these are insecurities that a lot of us deal with. And we feel the need to maybe overextend ourselves and and to the topic of today's episode, overpromise. And I don't necessarily have the answer, but maybe by the end of the episode we can figure this out together, right? Yeah, and and you're right, it is something we all struggle with. So if misery loves company, at least rest easy knowing you're not alone. I wouldn't say I'm a, a hardline insecure overachiever. I'm I'm not working 80 hours a week or sleeping in my office. I'm going on record and saying I will never use that term to describe <laughs> myself. No, me either. But I, I would be lying if I said I didn't have insecurities like you're talking about and like I think everybody does. You know, I've this is the thing about me and, and my insecurities. I've been in client pitch meetings and strategy sessions where I've been told by colleagues or higher ups, man, you nailed that thing. And even though I I know I did an okay job, I still often feel like it's a jumbled mess. And a lot of times, this is this is the weird corporate paranoia in me. A lot of times I wonder, are they actually saying that because they believe it? Or are they just trying to make me feel better knowing that I flopped? And I, it's such a weird paranoia to have that I know, but it's, it's, it's where my mind goes. If only folks could see the text messages that you and I exchange, right? That <laughs> Those insecurities, you, you, you text me all the time. I really do. It's true. You know, it's well, and if I ever push way too hard on this show, it is for the same reasons. This is not our job. It's something we're doing for fun. And hey, and you've shown me the numbers. Our audience is getting bigger month after month. It's not growing fast, but it has been pretty consistent. But I've been anxious about a future month where we don't grow or we shrink for a fun hobby thing. It's still on my mind. And that's inevitably going to happen. We're going to have those months. This episode's describing this personality type, and we put this external pressure on ourselves. But it's also about the process, and there's probably something to be said about sticking with something until you improve. And maybe that's something we talk about in the future, right? Maybe a teaser? (laughs) No, I think you're right. I think it is a good teaser. Pay attention to that for, for future episodes. But circling back for this episode, you know, what do these insecurities really have to do with overcommitting? Well, think about it this way. If you're always competing either against others or just your own internal monologue the way dear Brian over here does, if you're always worried you're not actually good enough and you're always hunting for that next step up because you're terrified you don't actually deserve it, then you start looking for ways to guarantee your next small victory or tiny incremental step. But here's the problem. The path to success for Anybody in a white-collar environment is not really that clear most of the time. Now, let's think about the other side of the house. If you're building physically, creating widgets, you can compare to your neighbor very easily. You built more widgets on the assembly line than the guy next door to you. In an office, it's a lot harder to do that. You don't really know how good your competitors are. You don't know all the hidden parameters that your boss considers when promoting subordinates. So what do you do? You try really hard to stack the deck and crush it so hard that it doesn't matter anymore, right? You exceed expectations so wildly or surpass the competition by such a wide margin. There's really no question that you won. But here's another problem. We all only have 24 hours in a day. And the insecure side of our drive for overachieving tells us what we did yesterday, eh, 
it wasn't really good enough for those hours. Could have done more, could have done better. John, have you ever gone into uh, an overdrive situation like that? Yeah, I think we all have, right? You kind of want to make up for lost time, right? Right, like we, we didn't do enough with the 24 hours we have. And these folks who go into these overdrive situations, myself included, it's a symptom of this insecure overachiever. It's sometimes also a symptom of folks who have overactive or hyperactive brains. And I myself feel that these overdrive situations, I put on myself and I create that. And as a result, I'm you know running around trying to check all these things off my to-do list. But really, at the end of the day, I put them on there. But I think it's also a symptom of corporate America a little bit, too. Our work ethic is built around always working. I think we did call it that, right? A couple back on, yeah, back on multi uh, multitasking, multitasking or trying to is a direct contributor to ADD like symptoms. Absolutely, and pretty much that's the crux of what I'm getting at. Yeah, you're right. And one final thought before you move on: if you're listening to this and think, "Hey, this ain't me," well, buckle up because it does not matter. Insecure overachievers are exactly the people who are going to get promoted to be your boss. And then they'll overcommit you just like they overcommit themselves. Now, this is all anecdotal, but I know everybody out there can relate to a lesser or greater degree because the numbers tell me this much. What numbers? Well, let's take a break. And then afterwards, I'm going to dig into a survey I found that describes the state of our commitments. We're also going to talk through some of the ways we can rein in those overcommits a little bit. It sounds to me what you're describing is something that I'm familiar with, but called by a different name, or at least touches on this a little bit. The phrase imposter syndrome. I think that's a good way to think. Of it. Well, I'm going to I'm going to trying to think of the best way to do this. Imposter syndrome has a very negative connotation, and I think we can all agree that we're ones who have it. Obviously, it's something they should try to fix. But there's a lot more of an insidious way to think about it that is lauded in the corporate side, which is, hey, we're going to fake it till we make it. And we do have this mentality of, you know you're not good enough right now, but all you have to do is land the account, and then you learn how to do it. That is going to very naturally, in my mind at least, lead to imposter syndrome where it's, I, I don't have the skill set here and I have to make up for it somehow. One thing I can do, I might not be as good as Jim down the hall, but one thing I can do is work more hours than Jim. I can take on more projects than Jim and maybe that will put me on the same footing as him. So yeah, I think imposter syndrome is not necessarily the same thing, but it's definitely a, a close cousin and something that we need to consider. Birds of a feather, right? Yeah. Now, I found a study from a leadership training company, Vital Smarts, that surveyed just shy of 1,400 people. Not to discount the intricacies of the numbers, going to spoil it here, pretty much everybody feels like they're overcommitted. So what is that? Let's see. Three in five people say they're on the hook for more than they can get done in the time that they have. One in five are teetering on the brink. They have a plate that's full and it cannot get any fuller without being overloaded. So we're talking about of these 1,400 people, not a small number, four out of five are on the cusp or just over it in terms of overcommitting. And none of this is a temporary issue. Two out of three say that this is usually the way things are for them. And that last one out of three says this is always the way things are. Pretty clear we all have this problem. 
But why does it happen so often? The insecure overachiever mentality is certainly part of this in my estimation, but I think we can generalize it a bit too. John, let me know how you stack up against these internal and external drivers. From an internal side, 73% of us have a strong desire to be helpful, accommodating, and polite. Not really a shocker, we're social beings. Is this a, a big driver for you and you're overachieving? In that regards, I would say absolutely yes. I'm always trying to make sure that folks are walking away from any interaction or exchange with me saying, wow, he was great to work with, he was super cordial, fun, all that good stuff. So when it comes to interpersonal skills, yeah, I'm always trying to overachieve there. Sure. And it's a natural thing. Again, we're, we're all part of this social hierarchy and we want to do well and have people like us. It's a, a natural feeling. And then next, 56% of people, my, myself definitely one of them, are nosy problem solvers. We like to jump into other people's issues and start fixing them. And I, I know this is an issue I have, and I probably annoy people when I do it, but you know, I see something somebody's doing that could be done at least differently. I guess I can't always say better, and I want to at least register my opinion on it. Yeah, this may be a little bit counter to what's expected of a consultant, but I have no problem kind of staying on the sidelines and not getting involved, uh, especially compared to you, Brian. No offense, but... <laughs> Um, I tend to have no problem staying out of other people's business, and I'm sure that some folks have told me in the past that maybe I need to improve on this, but sure, you know, not my problem. I'm not getting involved. It's one of my less endearing traits, so I, I should do it a lot less than I do, but uh, moving on. So those are the internal drivers. Let's talk about a few external drivers from this study as well. 39% of us work for companies that are, I guess the, the easy way to say this is less than stellar at defining job roles and responsibilities. We don't necessarily know where our job ends and somebody else's begins. So we take on elements of both to ensure the task at least gets done. Nearly as many people, 38%, said they have a boss that makes non-negotiable demands on their time. And we can couple both of those things with the 32% of people who either can't or for whatever reason won't say no to their bosses, to their coworkers. All these things combined, we have a bit of a recipe for an overworked disaster. What do we do if our boss is someone who kind of falls into this category? How do we combat that a little bit? This goes right back to the idea that these insecure overachievers are the ones who get promoted because of that overachieving. And then, yeah, to your point, they bring it on down the line. And now they're overcommitting us because they're overcommitting themselves. It's a huge issue. And like I said, even if you don't think you have these problems, they're going to come up because your boss might. That's a lot of numbers. You know, I, I do like a lot of numbers. I have a few more, but let's just take a step back. Considering how common this all is, I don't think I need to define consequences. Again, if four out of five of us feel this way, you know what I'm talking about. But in case I need to actually call attention to that knot that's permanently lodged in your stomach, let's connect a few dots. At least for me personally, when I'm in this overcommitted cycle, it's really impossible for me to feel accomplished or feel successful right? A lot of times I feel like I'm struggling to keep my head above water and it takes a toll. Sooner or later, my only goal in a really busy week is to not fall further behind. If I don't have a notion of what succeeding even looks like anymore, what am I striving towards other than simply not failing? And that's not a great feeling to have. When I'm in that mode, Brian, that overdrive mode, I struggle a lot with kind of doing the opposite of what I need to do. I feel like a turtle in its shell and I revert back into it. 
So when you have this combo of being a somebody who procrastinates a lot of the time and b over committing myself, I feel like I'm short on time and I'm in this chaos mode that's really not helping anything and I'm not getting much done at all. And that causes more stress for me. So it's a vicious cycle that I can't get out of sometimes. So don't know the answer because I shoot myself in the foot at least once a month, right? What you're talking about is a a negative spiral that just feeds on itself. And at a high level, I don't necessarily have solutions either. But logically, if we're in a spiral, we have to find some way to break it to at least stop going further down. So no, you're definitely right. It's a a negative self-fulfilling prophecy to say we're overworked and then we just stop trying because we don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Now, the other half of this as well, and I'm sure I'm not alone here either, the whole idea of just stress and anxiety. When we're overworked and overcommitted, it's really easy to get super stressed out. The National Institute of Mental Health, here's me with more statistics before, I I promise I'm almost done with them. About 31.1% of U.S. adults experience some kind of anxiety disorder in their lifetimes. That's Not a great number. And the American Institute for Stress collected some results from several different studies on work-related stress, which is obviously of particular importance to a work-life balance podcast. So Everest College, 83% of us deal with work-related stress. Reich, which is a project management company, 94% of us feel stressed at work with 23% saying it's at a high level and 6% saying it's unreasonably high. 35% of us are blaming our boss's management style. 80% blame poor corporate communications. That's from Corn Ferry and Dynamic Signal, respectively. And finally, and this is one that companies need to care about, 63% of us, 63% are on the verge of leaving our companies because we don't see any other way to get out of this stress. And that's big. So one question and one observation. First, I did not know that there's an Institute of Stress. That's what you said, the Institute of Stress, yeah, right? Yeah, well, we're all a stressed out ball of crazy, so you figure there's got to be an institute about it somewhere. Yeah, why wouldn't there be, right? <laughs> but as a follow-up, a lot of what we're describing here is the unintended consequences of maybe somebody doing this to us, but at what point do we say that this is our own problem, this is our own fault, and give ourselves a little kick in the ass because that's what we need, you know, stop blaming others and start taking the initiative ourselves. When do we draw that line in the sand? Let's be very plain here. If anybody had the answers to these questions that legitimately were foolproof, it wouldn't be four out of five of us who feel like we're overcommitting, right? So it's it's not just our failing that we don't have immediate answers here. But no, I, I think you're starting in the right direction. There, There's a level of personal accountability here, but there's also a level of corporate responsibility too. You know, if We're saying that our bosses are unreasonable in their demands. If we're saying our roles are very ambiguous to the point where we don't know where one guy's job ends and ours begins, that is an issue that's external to us that we do need to talk about as well. And that ambiguity you're describing here, it's something that I'm passionate about and I don't want to maybe tease too much, but that sounds like a topic we could talk about in the future. Maybe understanding why org charts matter sometimes and why things like that are important, right? 100%. And do I hear some foreshadowing here? Maybe. So something to look forward to there, folks. But in the meantime, in terms of solutions that I can think of might work, there's a few that I can see. And and one, I'm going to borrow from that multitasking episode. For any critical items that we have that need to get done, like I said before, we want to carve out specific time on our calendars to do it. 
block it off. Don't take on any new tasks during these times, even if they seem really small and insignificant and easy to manage. Don't go out of your way to solve somebody else's problems. Just stay focused on the core of your job and what must get done. Now, as always, easier said than done. Yeah, maybe uh, follow your own advice, Brian. Yeah, no, seriously, definitely. No, I, I, I agree with you. And actually, one thing that I have been doing, and this is another thing I wanted to talk about, you know, I like I said, I don't work 80-hour weeks, but I'm not unfamiliar with working more than 40. One thing I've been trying to stick to very hard, uh, really the entire year to date so far, is working a 40-hour week and being done. At some point in history, that was the norm. Now, it's not uncommon to see coworkers working 50, 60, 80-hour weeks, doubling the number. That's an insane number to me. And the scary thing is, is that's a point of pride for a lot of people, too. Huge point of pride for some people. You, well, you have to wonder, oh, what, you know, it's that's two-thirds of your day, and I'd like to think we're spending at least that last third sleep. What time do you have for, for family, personal pursuits, personal joys and passions? That's a lot of time to be at the office. Now, I guess some people make up for it by saying, I'm going to work like a dog 80-hour weeks in my 20s, so I'm very well established in my 30s. And Maybe that's the way it is or works, but I know it doesn't work that way for everybody. I know there's people who have a spouse, have kids, and never get to see them or spend time with them. They've worked through their prime and, and afterwards never really getting to that rung that they thought they were going to get to by working 80-hour weeks, and they're still at it. If you feel strongly that that's how you set yourself up for success or that has worked for you and it set you up for success, I would love to hear that because... I wholeheartedly just disagree with that. I want that level of work-life balance now. You would think I care enough about it to start a podcast or something. <laughs> I guess that's a topic for another day, right? But seriously, I would love for somebody to leave us a comment, a voicemail, send us an email or anything. Uh, you know, Come on the show, and I would love to debate you on that because I will probably most likely never see your perspective. So this is a win-win for me. So come on. Come on. Any takers. <laughs> Brian, isn't this like a symptom of America, too? Well, that's the thing, too. It's it's a uniquely American way of thinking about things. A lot of other countries actually have maximum caps on hours work. The U.S., we have a cap on how many hours you can work as a non-exempt employee before you can earn overtime, but there's no hour cap. You go over to the European Union, there's a mandate of a maximum of 48 hours in a work week. And a lot of other countries have this as well, or some, some form of law very similar to it. It's kind of an American mentality to say, I'm going to work 80 hours at a job where technically I could probably get a lot of what I need to get done in 40. That's the idea. If we're drawing a hard line at 40 hours in a week, we're telling ourselves, we're telling our organizations, our time is limited, it matters, and I want to focus on what matters in my role. So it's an important distinction to draw. And a hard one, how do you tell your boss, hey, I'm going to cut back on maybe 20 hours a week from 60 to 40. Not an easy thing to do, but it's important. And I'm all about proud to be an American and whatnot, but it, it just this isn't me. Yeah, the Delco accent's a very American accent. You could have just done a, a super Delco accent right there. Yeah, I, I truly believe that this is a symptom of corporate America or something, dude. But yeah, no, this, I would love that type of legislature here, right? Had signed me up. Now, the last thing on my list, and this is something I see commonly, especially among these insecure overachievers, the tendency or strategy of trying to eat the whole elephant at once, right? It's an impossible task. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. When we talk about big projects, we talk about them at the highest level and what the 
end result will be pump the brakes. Let's talk less strategy, more tactics. Let's talk less about the long term and more about the immediate future. What are these specific tasks that need to get done? Let's break those out to their smallest elements. We're not building a whole city at once. We're not even building a a whole city park at once. We're going to build a single bench, then a swing, then one item after another. And eventually we get to the point where we need to be it's going to make this whole overcommitting thing a bit easier because we know there's a thousand things that need to get done for this project. I know I can only get 10 done this week. Let me focus there first. And for those of you keeping score at home, that's another tick in the column of Brian making a food, animal, whatever type of analogy or reference, right? I, I make, yeah. I, well, I think the last one was talking about boiling frogs. Boiling frogs, skinning cats, you know, who's keeping count anymore, right? No, look, I've always, and this is especially if if you work in a job that covers complex topics that might have industry speak and jargon, the best thing you can, maybe it's just me defending myself, learn some good analogies because people that are are, are kind of lay to whatever you're talking about, they're not going to understand your jargon, but you talk about skinning a cat, boiling a frog, or eating an elephant one bite at a time, you know what I'm talking about when I say it, so... I'm a big fan of analogies. Yeah, it's and it's always food based. Well, I guess. Well, I guess if you're skinning a cat to eat it, this is a weird topic. We're gonna get off of this right now. <laughs> well, to rein us back in, I guess to kind of close this out a little bit, Brian. I think it's important to remember that roles and responsibilities and expectations can maybe help disambiguate this a little bit. So be clear on expectations, be clear on timelines, be clear on what the final deliverable is going to look like. By doing these things, maybe you can help eliminate some of this overcommitting and underperforming, at least maybe take out the underperforming aspect of it. That's actually a really great point. And like I said, if, if ambiguity is a part of our role, that's the problem. Disambiguating is a great solution. You know, if you're on a call where you talk about X, Y, and Z have to get done before that call ends, but hey, not to put too fine a point on it, but who's doing X, who's doing Y, who's doing Z, by when, what support do you need, what barriers and blockers do you have? That removes that ambiguity and makes sure we all know, hey, did you think I was going to do X and Y and you do Z? Well, I don't have time for both X and Y. Who can do X? I'll take Y, you take Z. No, that's a great idea. And Brian, I hear you on calls. You're pretty good at that stuff. I try to be. Yeah, and you help break it down, and maybe we're not eating an elephant all in one bite. We're doing it leg by leg, right? Well, and that that's the thing, and this is why I go back to overachievers. The, the insecure overachievers like to eat the whole elephant at once. It's not sexy to talk about who's going to do what menial task or what really tactical step. They want to talk about how great and illustrious and grand this plan is. It's not fun to talk about the actual details of getting work done, but it's important. So I hate to end this episode repeating an episode from a few weeks ago, but just like with the multitasking myth episode, the solution here, yeah, to John's point earlier, part of it's within us, part of it's within our organizations, and I don't have a solve there. I I think a lot of this is going to take heart-to-heart conversations with our boss where we say, look, if I'm drowning, I got to tell you, I'm drowning. If I need help, I need to feel comfortable and confident in my relationship with my boss to have that discussion. If I don't, maybe I need to be one of those 62% of people who, just like John did, decided maybe I need to go somewhere else for a clean slate and to try to nail this thing a bit better. 
And if not, join me all together now. We can just scream into the void together. Uh... <laughs> that was the most half-hearted scream. Give me a peaky scream. Give me a big old scream. Uh, I don't want to do it. <laughs> Start hearing Daisy bark in the background again. Yeah, that's the best you're going to get out of me right now, Brian. All right, well, that's it for us today. Uh, thank you again for joining us, and we'll be here next week for a brand new episode. We'll always be here. You get to listen to our smooth voices. Call me to sleep, ASMR or something like that, right? All on the fade out now. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and by all means, please take John up on his challenge. If you found a successful balance working 60 or more hours a week, we want to hear from you. Drop us a text or voicemail at 484-273-0223 and tell us about it. Message and data rates may apply. For everybody else, drop any comments or help us out by leaving a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time. Nom, 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 nom. That was a weird sound.